This is Masters in Travel, a rendezvous with the intersection of travel and business to accelerate your success. I'm your host, Whitney Schindler, owner of Undiscovered Sunsets. Each week, we have one goal in mind, to provide advice, insights, and resources to help you maximize your potential. Get ready to become a master in travel. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Masters in Travel. I'm your host, Whitney. Over the last six months, I have been in a perpetual state of observation, of listening to the conversations going on around me. And from observation and listening comes many, many questions. How do we as travel advisors decide which companies we work with and which experiences to include in a proposal for clients? How do we start conversations with our supplier partners to understand their values as a company and as a service provider? How do we then confirm that a company's intentions are translated into action on the ground? How do we inquire into the safety of a destination for a variety of travelers, from solo female travelers to LGBTQ plus travelers to bi POC travelers? When deciding who to work with from one trip to the next, we're generally referencing the companies who represent them and which partners provide their stamp of approval, whether that stamp of approval comes from a consortia, a host agency, or a representation partner. We often reach out to colleagues to ask who they've worked with in the past and whether their experience was positive. These quote unquote stamps of approval are important and they are meaningful. They hold weight. They are valuable. But these qualifying factors in particular generally lead us to understand only one component of the equation, which is often centered around the service and the quality of the experience. If we're not sure what the vibe of a destination is, whether it's suitable for a group of girlfriends or for a family with small children, then we might seek out colleagues to ask about a recent personal experience. We might read reviews and quite often we head to our Facebook forums to gather more intel. But there are some key components that none of these efforts solve for. These efforts rarely inquire into the value values of a company or of a partner. They rarely tell us how the experience in that destination or with that tour company or in that hotel might differ from one person to the next, from one traveler to the next, from a white heterosexual couple traveling with their small children to a solo female traveler to a group of bi-POC friends to a multi-generational family traveling with their transgender grandchild, how best do we approach this topic? How can we truly know what one traveler might experience to the next? Most importantly, how can we decipher where our clients will feel most safe, comfortable, and secure? Where will they have the most positive experience? Here with me today is Alyssa Hall, an anti-racism leadership coach who works primarily with solopreneurs and service providers. Allie, this is such an important conversation, and I'm so grateful to have you join us today to guide us through some of these really big questions. Yes, I am so excited because this is a really important topic and just seeing the amount of different industries that can be touched with this information and this conversation is really exciting. There has been a lot of information shared and a lot of different vernacular used around these topics. And I'd like to make sure that everyone is starting off on this journey on the same page. So before we dive into a all of my questions. Can you help us understand the difference between diversity, inclusion, and anti-racism and how all of these terms are interconnected, but also how can we differentiate them? Yes. Okay. So just giving everyone a heads up, I speak an example. So there's going to be some examples thrown your way. And the way that I see all of these things meshing together is typically when business owners talk about um, wanting to do this work, the measurable thing is the diversity piece. How, Like what type of people am I serving? What do my clients look like? Even the suppliers, what do they look like? That's what we see as like the measurable thing. But it's important to understand that on the path of what this work looks like, diversity is actually the very last step. So I just want to get that visual in your brain of like, these are like sequential steps. Right before that is inclusion. So with inclusion, it's more of, are you ready to have the people that are in this environment, are they going to be heard? And are they going to be heard deeply? And are their experiences going to be taken into account when we're making decisions? What does that look like? And how deeply are we understanding people? And just going back again to looking at the the trajectory of how this goes, we need that piece in order for the diversity piece to be successful. But even behind both of those things is anti-racism. So 
anti-racism is really being intentional about making sure that everything that we're doing is straying away from the norm. And the norm in our society right now is racism, white supremacy, all of those things. They just bleed into everything that we do. So when it comes to anti-racism, it's about being active in seeing what those things look like, as well as making sure that we're not doing anything to, to push that forward. And the example that I like to give of like, anti-racism is there is this show, this kid's show that has a really perfect example of it. Um, It's called Static Shock. It's like maybe 10, 15 years old at this point. It's a black teen superhero and he goes to his white best friend's house for dinner. And throughout the dinner, the dad is like throwing around all these microaggressions and the main character is just not really phased by it. He's just whatever. But the white best friend was just like visibly annoyed and he kept like giving his dad the look and just he was really annoyed but nothing was ever said so then next scene the best friend and the main character are in the best friend's room and the best friend is like oh my gosh I can't believe my dad said all that this is so like this is so terrible this is so embarrassing he's just livid right and the main character is like no whatever it's fine it's not that serious then the main character goes to the bathroom which is next to the parents room and the parents are having a conversation about the main character and they're like this is why our son behaves this way it's because he's hanging out with that black kid and like saying really deeply racist things and then that makes the main character feel terrible of course but that entire example is someone who's just not racist the best friend is not racist clearly but he didn't do anything to block off the racism within the room so that is what that looks like and just like and of course they're kids but like with Mm -hmm. adults you see that often too so it's not just Mm -hmm. about having good intentions it's like what are you doing as well I love that you specifically mention doing things with intention, but also taking action. And I think that that's one of the biggest things that I've learned over the last year is that not agreeing with those statements that that father in that show was making is not enough. It's it's actually saying something and and also just a lot of situations that are going on in our world, just kind of shifting the perspective of not just sitting in our comfortable backseat the whole time, but like, hmm, I wonder what this experience looks like for someone else. Whether that community is the BIPOC community or any other community, it's just, it seems good for me is it good for everyone? And it's just kind of like constantly asking that question and being a little bit more intentional about it. Exactly. For me personally, when I observed companies big and small making statements, offering donations, making promises over the last year, let's say, it was very easy for me to kind of sit back as a bystander and to see how I felt larger companies could do better. Once in a while, I really had this thought of like, yeah, you better be doing that kind of thing, you know? (laughs) And I would look at big companies and I would immediately think of their recruiting and their hiring practices and their diversity and inclusion trainings and auditing the freelance writers and the photographers that they were hiring each month. And, you know, looking at which colleges are you recruiting from? Which colleges are you going to like talk to the students about your company? And all of these ideas were just like flooding at me of like, it's so obvious. Like, why can't you just be more intentional with what you do, big companies? (laughs) Like steps like this just felt so easy for me. But then 10 seconds later in thinking about my own business, I was like, well, I don't really hire anyone. I don't like have a team. I'm not recruiting. I don't have any trainings to promote or to hold with my company of one over here. (laughs) You know, when I turned in to try to audit or observe my own business and my own practices, I just immediately had this feeling of, I'm not sure what I can do. And I don't know, honestly, my initial thoughts were, I don't know if I can really do anything. I'm a solopreneur. I don't hire anyone. I'm just over here by myself doing my thing. How can I possibly play a positive role in this? And I kind of left it at that. And it was meeting you that you were like, "Mm -mm." (laughs) mm-mm. Like, (laughs) but just, you know, like starting to ask some questions. So I know that you really work with a lot of service providers and a lot of solopreneurs. So for people like me who really truly, like just honestly, this was my first gut reaction to all of this. What are some of the first things you tell them or that you share with them to start opening up, you know, their their mind of possibility of like, oh, there there are some things I can do here. Yes. Oh my gosh, this is literally my favorite because I love working 
working with solopreneurs. It's like 90% of my clientele are solopreneurs because that means we get to do a deep dive in you as a person. And what I feel like we don't realize, especially when we're solopreneurs, is that we are leaders in so many different ways. And it doesn't necessarily feel like it, but I'm always just like, if someone listens to you speak, that is it. You are a leader. That's all. And I feel like that's that's the difference between like adults and kids is that kids, unless they're doing a group project, no one's listening to them. But adults, we have at least one person in our lives who is listening to us and we have the power to influence and have them understand different things. And that's just being a, a regular adult. Now, once we have a business, there are people who are working with us and we get to shift the way that they see things by the way that we're presenting them. And it's like what I mentioned before of the way that we were taught to just exist in this world and build our businesses and have business practices and just do everything. All of that is just laced with racism and white supremacy. So unless we do the internal work ourselves, we're never going to be able to see that. Um, And it'll be even harder for us to understand how other people are interacting with our work and with our with everything that we're putting out there. It's so interesting. As soon as you say that, I'm immediately thinking like, yeah, we all have social media. We all we're all writing newsletters. We're all talking to our clients on a very regular basis. Our words matter. Right. And our actions matter. And the suppliers that we choose to work with matters. The destinations that we highlight and promote matters. And suddenly it's like, oh, <laughs> there's there's a lot that I'm doing that matters. When five minutes ago I thought like, meh, you know, like there's nothing for me to do here. As service providers and as solo entrepreneurs, when we do you know, we've already kind of come to this small realization here of like, okay, it matters. So now the next step is like, what comes next? We need to look within our own business practices and kind of audit ourselves. What are some questions that you encourage business owners and especially service providers just to ask, just to kind of reflect on regarding our own businesses? Because the impact that we're going to make is much, much different than the impact a larger company is going to make. So what are a couple of questions that you would encourage solopreneurs and, and service providers to just ask themselves and kind of reflect on about themselves and their own businesses. Yes. Okay. So especially with marketing, the question that I always have people ask is how would someone from X background read this? And I usually give the example of how would a black woman read this so that you can have like multiple layers of intersectionality just to start learning how to think about. But the way that I notice this a lot is, for example, I know this business coach and she or she's a style coach something but the point is she wrote a post one day and she was just like oh is today a dry shampoo day or a hair wash day i don't relate to that i don't know the i i know what dry shampoo is because again commercials and like they talk about white products more than they talk about black products so i get it but that doesn't relate to me i wash my hair once a week like it's it's, it's a neither right right? So, right 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 and that was just like her attention grabber for clearly the rest of her post but it's about even looking at that like okay well does that relate to everyone because we tend to feel like things relate to everyone and when it's really it just relates to this one specific group of people. Usually people like you. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So this is interesting. And this is a detail that I to- I totally would have done something like that and wouldn't have even realized. And I think that that's a lot of times mm-hmm. what we see happening. I saw in your, I think you have a reel on Instagram that you were highlighting black owned small businesses like last November for Small Business Saturday. Yes. And you had all of these hair products that you use with your daughter. I had no idea what any of them were. I was like, what's that for? Well, what's, well, there's another one. Well, what's that one? <laughs> Yeah. I have um, no idea. <laughs> I'm like literally just dying because my daughter's hair is very different from mine. Hers is like natural and curly. I actually relax my hair. So whenever I have to do things with her, I'm just like, there's this and what is this? And I don't understand. It's like this, this now we have seven products just for her. And I just oh. have my shampoo and conditioner. <laughs> I'm just yep. <laughs> So it's like understanding the different layers of something as simple as a wash day. Like I know what a wash day is, but for me, it's just, oh, I'm just going to wash my hair and 
that's it exist and it's like different language that you understand so when we start thinking about what we say and what we write and trying to think about how would someone else read this how could someone else relate to this statement is our goal to try to relate to all people because that's going to be really hard right like i don't i don't know how i would rewrite a hair wash shampoo scenario that everyone can connect with and in business i'm going to go out on a limb here and say that's like the number one cardinal rule is do not try to be all things to all people. So now I'm kind of stuck in the middle. Like what, <laughs> where do we go next? <laughs> Yes. Okay. So this is what I love because this is part of the work that I do with um, some of my clients of just narrowing and expanding at the same time, right? So for example, there's a lot of business coaches who are like, oh, I'm a business coach for moms. Cool. All right. Nine times out of 10, the mom that they are talking about is a mom with one, two, three kids and a husband at home who either helps with the finances or makes a majority of the money so then she is has more flexibility of maybe time with her business or how she wants to run her business all that stuff right yeah that's literally that's not me so i'm just like <laughs> I am a single mom. And so when it comes to me making money in my business, it's the goals are completely different. The way I have to manage my time and my money is very different. So understanding like, okay, you want to work with moms, you do realize there's spectrums to that. And there are lots of different categories or lots of different kinds of moms. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And mostly if you speak to someone, they're like, yeah, I want to work with all moms. Cool. If you want to work with all moms, then we're going to have to learn about addressing all moms. And then if you decide for yourself, no, actually, I only want to work with moms that have a husband and this is their lifestyle then could be professional moms, could be stay at home moms, could be moms with children under five, could be moms, right. the empty nesters. I mean, you can still narrow it down and niche it down a tremendous amount. Right, yeah. right. The way that I talk about it is like false inclusivity. Either you're going to be for that group that you're mentioning, fine, or if you know that you don't want to tailor your programs and your marketing for that, that's fine too. You don't have to feel guilty about like, oh, I only want to work. Then only work with those specific people and make that known. But don't say that you're for everyone and then giving me a post about dry shampoo. Then you're not for everyone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Hey, Masters in Travel, like me and probably like you, most travel advisors are working from home by themselves. So often we're navigating challenges in a silo, constantly reinventing the wheel, trying to figure out what the next best step is. When in reality, we're all navigating similar challenges. So why are we doing it alone? We learn so much by simply being around other travel advisors, being in the same room, virtual or in person, listening to everyone's thoughts, ideas, and questions. With the Masters in Travel, community and think tank, I've simply created the room. You might not always have a specific question to ask and that's okay. We learn a lot by listening. We learn a lot by staying curious and by simply being in the room. Every so often, I'll start the conversation with prompts and conversation starters to bubble up thoughts, ideas, and questions you didn't realize you had. You know me, I always have questions to get the conversation started. The Masters in Travel community and think tank is where you can bring your questions, your challenges, and your ideas to a safe space to brainstorm, collaborate, and gather insights from other advisors' experiences. No more throwing spaghetti at the wall. Join our community of entrepreneurial, growth-minded travel advisors to really move the needle in your business and to accelerate your success. To learn more and to sign up for the Masters in Travel community and think tank, go to community.mastersintravel.co. That's community.mastersintravel.co. Okay, back to the show. We talk a lot about this, like in our own industry, in terms of who our ideal client is. And we often get stuck in this trap of what type of travel do you plan? Well, I plan all types of travel. Do you plan all types of travel to all destinations at all budget levels? No. Okay. So then you don't plan all types of travel. Let's continue to niche it down. And I, I think that it's a really good exercise in just continuing to ask, I plan travels for families. Well, what kind of families? Right. I plan travel for families with young children. 
children. Okay. Do we have two working professionals? Do we have a stay at home mom? Which of one of those parents are you generally speaking to when you're planning that vacation? You know, like there's so many questions you can continue to ask. And we do that in our own businesses when we are identifying our ideal clientele. And I think it's the beautiful connection that you've just created that that can't be forgotten when we go to our marketing and we're writing our messages that if we are too broad on who we are talking to, we're not going to be able to create an inclusive message. Exactly. Exactly. Do I want to go down the rabbit hole of saying on social media that I can't control who follows me? I can only control that I say, this is who I'm here for. And this is what my messaging is. But then if someone outside of that realm follows me, then that's kind of their decision. 100%. And that is, I feel like that's where the clarity piece comes in, right? Like even on my social media, my business is primarily for white entrepreneurs. I have people of all colors who follow me. And but when I'm creating a message about my work and what it is I do, it is known that the message is for that specific person. So even if I make a post about, well, y'all need to be better at doing the work. I don't really make posts like that, but let's pretend I did. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. I would make Mm -hmm. a post about like, oh, y'all need to do the work. A black woman isn't going to then go into the comments and talk about, oh, well, this isn't my job to do the work because she knows that this platform is specifically directed to that person, right? Instead, black women comment on it and they're like, yes, oh my gosh, this is so important. Thank you for giving this message because they know and because I'm clear about who I work with and who this is for. So when we're not clear about who we're work with and who it's for, then that's when all of that confusion and frustration can bleed in regardless of who's following you. So I'm going to lean into your strategy of examples because one just came to mind and it helps me kind of understand the picture and I hope it'll help other people. It makes me think of going to a profile who claims that they have family-friendly recipes. And that's all that they say. And then they're posting and posting and posting different recipes every day. And then in the comments, you start seeing people saying, why are you using all these ingredients that are so expensive that we would never have in the pantry? Why are there never any gluten-free recipes? Why are there never, why are these all like protein heavy meat recipes? There's no vegetarian, there's no gluten-free, there's no vegan. When really, instead of trying to please the masses, what that profile should say is family-friendly gluten-free recipes Mm -hmm. under $20 a meal. Yes. So then whoever comes to that profile does exactly what they're going to get. And if they're only offering gluten-free recipes, vegans are not going to come in and start complaining in the, in the comments about where are all the vegan recipes? Exactly that. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I often hear you talk about doing the work and in thinking about this, I feel that the work quote unquote, is multifaceted. Some of the work is personal. Some of the work is professional. Some of the work is figuring out how I want to better communicate my values with the world. Do you see these as separate entities? And have I missed any components of doing the work that are important? Yes. Okay. I love how you brought all of them up because I feel like whenever people think about anti-racism or even just when they think about my job, they always think it's one of those things. And in reality, it's all of that put together. You have to, especially as someone who owns the business, you have to do the personal work. That is what's going to be the foundation of everything and will lean into what you're saying of knowing how it works for you and what is important to you and how deeply important these issues are for you, you won't even understand what that looks like until you do that personal work and understanding how many things you may need to unlearn or start to get more clear on. So then when we finally decide you need to do the professional work, your values are so strong that every single decision you make is going to go back to that value. Almost unconsciously, hopefully, right? Like personally, it's so important to you that professionally, it's not like always an extra, oh, have we ticked all these boxes? It just flows. Exactly that. And one example that I can give when it comes to like professionally is the concept of payment plans and the the conversation around payment plans. The conversation around payment plans is the perfect example of all of this. Payment plans is an action, right? But underneath that action are people's different reasonings for why they would or would not want to do it. For some people, they're like, I want to do payment plans because it's an easier sell than pay in full. Okay, girl, go ahead. Some people are just like, I want to 
help people at different income levels. So that's why I want to do a payment plan. Okay, sure. Let's say that is your thought, right? You're just like, this is important to me to help people at different income plans. But then there's always a negative or a flip side to any action that we take, right? There's always going to be some challenges that we have to overcome. Like, okay, well, with payment plans, it may differentiate the audience that is actually going to be investing in me or with payment plans, then there can be some more confusion down the road. There's all these things, but what's going to make it so that we stick with whatever action is our values, right? So if our core value is, I want to make my goal of X dollars a month, then when we think about payment plans, it's going to be harder to feel okay with doing it because then that's lowering the amount of money that you're making in one month. But if your core value, and this is like no negativity on any end, whatever y'all want to do, that's that's on, that's that's mm-hmm. what you want to do. But mm-hmm. if the core value is, I want this to be equitable, whatever hurdles I have to go through, if that means I have to sell more whatever's in a month in order to make my goal, I'm fine with that because all I care about is this being equitable. Mm-hmm. That's where that personal work comes in. Because if we didn't do that personal work before, then you're just going to be looking at all the issues surrounding it and it'll be harder for you to stick with the action. I hope that made sense. It did make sense. And it's as an entrepreneur, it's a really good reminder of how each of our decisions needs to go back to our values. Mm-hmm. And I have personally struggled from the beginning. I've always felt that I knew what was important to me. And if I went through a values sort of exercise, I was always able to kind of pull out the things that were important to me. I think that sometimes where there has been a disconnect is when I'm making decisions regarding my business, whether it's which clients I decide to work with, which suppliers I decide to work with, or how I approach my marketing, I don't know that I'm always making my decision, deciding how I want to move forward, and then going back to like recheck that, is this in line with my values? Mm -hmm. I don't think that I'm doing that step. And I think that what you've just highlighted is so important because it's like that double checking system for ourselves to not only make sure, is this a sound decision that is in line with our values, but it's also like that second step of this is the decision that you've made. Cool. Why have you made it again? And who's that going to benefit? Is it only going to benefit you or is it only going to benefit your clients? Which clients are you trying to benefit? Like it's just this cycle that I feel like I don't know about other entrepreneurs. I will only speak for myself, but I feel like that there is kind of a cycle of checking and rechecking and double checking that I often miss which means that there are likely a lot of decisions that I have made that are not in line with my values, but that I haven't even realized that are not in line with my values. Exactly that, because here's the thing, like we're always just trying to simplify things, especially when it comes to like decision fatigue is a real thing. So it's just like, if we can just check up off something like, oh, you know what, that'll be too much trouble, whatever, I'm not gonna do it. Or, oh, you know what, this seems cool, I'll do it. Like that's how we typically make decisions. But when we bring it back to, okay, let me remember my values. How is this playing a part in that? Is there a different way to do this? That is obviously longer, but it's more impactful. So there are situations situations that come up for travel advisors once in a while in which we might earn a higher commission depending on how we decide to book something. So if we book it this way, we get a 10% commission, but if we book it this way, we get a 12% commission. And a really, really good values check is this is going to give us more money, but this higher percentage might be detrimental for the client in some way. Detrimental for the client could be a stricter cancellation policy, a higher deposit that is due, that is not necessary. Could be a variety of things, right? Just to give you a few examples. And so most travel advisors would automatically say, we do what's best for our client. We take the lower commission, we book it this way because this is going to be the best case scenario for our client. Recently, I saw in a business group someone talking about payment plans. And so it's really interesting that you mentioned this. She's a business owner who offers payment plans. I'm going to go out on a limb and assume that it was an equitable sort of decision of trying to make it accessible to a lot of different people. And she found that only halfway through the period, I think it was a six month period, these people stopped paying. They went into the system where the payment was being processed. They changed the credit card information. They changed the email. You know, they did whatever they had to do to like break the payment system so that it kind of was declined or didn't go through. And she was, as a business owner, was like, oh, like, what do I do? Yeah. 
So as a business owner, knowing that that could happen, if my values or if I didn't check my values, I might make the decision moving forward. No business plans. I'm not willing to take the risk that revenue comes in because once they have access to whatever is being offered, they have access. So what guarantees that they're going to continue to make those payments? On the other side, is that good for all of my clients if my values are equity and making sure that my service is available for everyone? Well, no, making everyone pay up front is not in line with my values. Offering payment plans is in line with my values. I need to know as a business owner that some people might be sneaky and try to get out of it. And I have to deal with that as a business owner, just like I could earn a 10% commission here or a 12% commission here as a business owner. I need to make the right decision, take the lower commission that is better for my client and just consider it a cost of business that I can't always take the highest commission. So I think my gut reaction prior to reading this payment plan thing on a Facebook forum, like yesterday, my gut reaction would have been like, get those payment plans out of there. Like make people pay up front. Right. But this is such a good reminder that like, is that decision in line with your values? And it might be riskier and you might not make as much money every month or, you know, whatever it's going to be, but make the decision that's in line with your values and stick with it. Yes. And one other thing that this is bringing up for me too, is that the foundational thing with everything, this all this work is this needs to be sustainable for you. And you have to really be realistic with yourself of what is sustainable for me? Am I in a place where I'm not uh, making decisions based off of scarcity? And I don't mean like scarcity mindset, but I mean like actual real scarcity. Is that happening for you? And if so, then your decisions are going to have to be a little bit different before you're able to really go in on, I'm going to do this work and I'm going to make the decisions based off of my values versus you being perfectly fine. Like, you know what? I'll give an example of just like, imagine if you're like living like week to week, trying to sign clients week to week so that you can make your bills. I'm not going to sit here and talk to you about payment plans. You need to get your pay in full so that you can be stable mm-hmm. and then we can shift to that. But mm-hmm. if you're in a place of everything is good, I'm ahead on things, then yeah, do the payment plans and set up systems in your head of if this happens, this is how we're going to deal with it. Realistic. Yes. You are a service-based business yourself as a leadership coach and you are a traveler. Do you feel comfortable sharing with us some of your own experiences in starting and running a small business and in traveling that might help open the eyes of just myself, but also of those who are listening. I I love all the examples that we've worked through already. And I feel like real life tangible examples that we can grab onto, especially related to travel can really help us see and understand. Do you feel comfortable sharing some examples that might help us see the types of challenges that are experienced by some travelers, but not by all? Absolutely. I am half Cuban and half African American. So what that really means for me is that when I'm in spaces of only African Americans or only Hispanics, no one knows what I am. They just assume (laughs) that I'm American. Um, Mm -hmm. But it's about being in spaces and feeling like an outsider and feeling like, like I know I'm going to deal with a lot, especially in Hispanic countries. Colorism is a big thing. So if I were to go to a Hispanic country, number one, they're going to assume that I'm American. Number two, they're going to assume that I'm African American. So that's two like strikes against me. So that doesn't, it doesn't feel safe until I start speaking Spanish. But for me, it's like, am I speaking well enough? Do I know enough of the, the lingo to be able to, there's a lot that plays into it in order for me to have that level of safety. So it's like my Spanish language is almost like a protection from Mm -hmm. a lot of the prejudices that come from the way that I look and the way that I present myself. But that only comes in situations where you're given the opportunity to speak Mm -hmm. from across a restaurant or across the street. That's not going to help you. Exactly. Exactly. And what's again, amazing about all of it is that they will speak freely around me because they won't assume that I understand them. So then I actually do understand them. And it's up to me whether or not I feel like revealing my secret identity or not. But 
being able to hear the conversation around me is again what makes it so deep of just like okay this is actually this is actually not safe for me or okay mm-hmm. i need to tell these people that i speak spanish so that they start treating me differently like it's mm-hmm. so there's so many layers but i think of my family on my dad's side of the family they're not all, they don't have that same privilege they don't speak spanish so if they are in these situations they just have to deal with whatever treatment they get because they they may not know that they're being treated differently or they may not know what is going on around them to the level that it is it's really interesting to hear your experience in this regard because i can think of a few instances in which i've been sort of an outsider Um, in certain groups while I'm traveling or while I'm living abroad. But me being an outsider in the past has generally centered around like a language barrier, Mm -hmm. right? So like very often I found myself in the room as one of the only people who doesn't understand what's going on because I'm a foreigner. I think the big difference here, like in that type of situation compared to what you're describing is I might have felt awkward. I might have felt a bit like an outsider. I never felt unsafe. Right. And what you're describing is how aware we as travel advisors need to be, whether we are working with someone from the BIPOC community or any other community that is unlike our own, are they going to feel safe where we are sending them and in the situations we are recommending for their upcoming trip? Exactly. And I think it's important for people to understand too that the language around the word safe, automatically we're just like, okay, and no one's going to hurt you. And it's just like, Mm -hmm. but it's there's layers to it too it's like can i just exist as a human and just really understanding what that means even the example that Mm -hmm. i gave with the tv show all this kid was trying to do was just go to his friend's house for dinner and go to the bathroom that's all he was Mm -hmm. trying to do Mm -hmm. he couldn't even just trying to be (laughs) just just trying to be that's it and it's like he couldn't even do that without experiencing something that's potentially traumatic. I'm glad that you said that because as someone, I I lived abroad for almost 10 years and I've traveled to a lot of places that when I come home, one of the first questions I'm asked is, is it safe? Can I go there? Admittedly, these questions are often asked by my peers. They are often asked by white Caucasian people, you know, friends and family in my life. But my knee jerk gut reaction to that question has always been like, what do you mean? Is it safe? Like, mm. are you asking me if someone's going to attack you? Are you asking me if someone, if you're going to get pickpocketed? Are you asking me if you are going to be in the middle of a drug bust? If you go to a certain country, like what does your question mean? And so I will admit, and I'm not even proud to think back to this, that my my response was never empathetic or understanding. It was always just like, it's fine. Like I went, I came home, I didn't have any problems. Right. And I'm really happy that you bring up that the word safe is very nuanced and it does not always imply physical harm. Right. Sometimes it really what the question is, can I go and can I be, can I exist as I am without any worry, without any insults, without anyone talking behind my back? Can I go and just be and enjoy my time there? Yes. Yes. And I feel like the best way to even look at it is like there are certain countries that have laws against gay marriage. So Mm -hmm. if you have a male male couple and they're like, hey, like, can we visit this country? What that means is, can I exist with my husband in the way that I want to? Or do we have to pretend that we're friends? Yes. Exactly. You have to do that. Yeah. And so if someone comes to us and says, is it safe? What I need to do is take a real big step back (laughs) and think before I respond and think, A, is it safe? But also who's asking me this question? Yes. And what does safety look like for that person? And what is that person's experience going to be in that destination? And how is it going to differ from my own? And then let's talk about it. Maybe... Because then I think the next step is maybe I don't know the answer, right? And so then it's up to me to go to people who might know the answer. And that's probably our supplier partners. That's probably colleagues that we know who have been there, colleagues that we know that identify similarly to the person who is asking us who have been there. 
right? right? If if a gay couple or if a bi POC family is asking me, is it safe? It's probably not going to help if I go ask a bunch of white travel advisors if it's safe. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. So what I have come to realize is that there are a lot of questions that I'm already asking my suppliers. And anyone listening knows this because I have already hosted so many podcasts of like my list of questions that I ask certain suppliers when I meet them for the first time. But one very important question that is not on that list that has now been added is what does your destination, what does an experience in your destination look like for the LGBTQ plus community? What does an experience in your destination look like for someone who identifies as bi POC? What does your destination look like for anyone who doesn't look like you and I? And that's a really important question to start asking our suppliers, I think. Yes. And one thing that I would definitely add to is preferably or more helpfully separating when you're asking something specific like that separating black from poc because colorism is so rampant that they might have two different experiences like the example that i gave of like if i were to go to like a, a, a hispanic country my a Dominican best friend, she'll have a very different experience because she looks Hispanic. She has the curly hair, she's light skinned, all of that versus me. I'll have a different experience because of my darker skin. So understanding what that looks like and what that what that language does to someone's experience there. I'm going to ask to make sure that I'm understanding correctly. Mm-hmm. Separating by from POC. Anyone POC could be Latin, Asian, mm-hmm. Native American, just anyone who's not Black, but also who doesn't identify as Caucasian. Exactly. Exactly. It's interesting that you mentioned that, and I'm glad that you do. It makes me think of my time living in China. I was teaching English for the first two years I was living there, and there was an Asian American teacher that came to work at our school. And she grew up in the US and I believe that her family, her ancestors were Chinese, but she didn't have any connection to China, like any modern day connection to China. She had such a difficult experience externally looking Chinese, but not Mm -hmm. speaking Chinese and trying to be a foreign teacher standing in front of a private school classroom teaching English. She mm. she left after a few months because the experience was so difficult for her because they didn't see her as the English teacher that they were envisioning they were paying private school tuition for to teach their children. Right. Even though she is American through and through, she was born in the US and speaks flawless English and doesn't speak Chinese. That's not how they saw it, simply because of the way she looked. And whenever she would go to the supermarket or get in a taxi or do whatever, Chinese, like the locals were confused, but often so rude to her because she didn't speak Chinese. She didn't speak Mandarin. She didn't speak the local dialect. They They were confused, but then they were almost just like frustrated to the point that it sometimes came out as anger. And I was often in the taxi next to her like, what's happening here? Can you just take us to the address we just gave you? Like, right. Right. Like, so she, she left. Thank you for helping me understand like the importance of not just asking what is the experience going to be for someone of the bi POC community and actually separating those two entities. Yeah. Because you're right. Once you brought that up, it immediately made me think of examples that, yeah, those two experiences are going to be very different. Yes. Hey, Masters in Travel. Since starting your travel business, how many times have you said to another advisor, if only I had known about this sooner? There are so many resources available to travel advisors, from podcasts and news publications, to tools and systems, to services and professionals that specialize and cater to the travel industry. But finding them and knowing about them is often left to a random, unexpected conversation with another advisor. The Masters in Travel Resource Library is a free resource for travel advisors by travel travel advisors that includes a compilation of all the resources that are available so that you can learn about, research, and implement these resources when the timing is right in your business and when it can benefit you most. In the resource library for travel advisors, you'll find three main subsections, learn, execute, and delegate. In the learn subsection, you'll find articles, podcasts, webinars, and courses. Once you've learned about a specific topic and you have a plan to move forward, there are most likely tools and systems that will enable you to execute as efficiently 
and effectively as possible. In the execute subsection, you'll find tools, systems, and templates. As your business grows, a desire and a need to delegate and to offload some of the daily and weekly tasks will emerge. In the delegate subsection, you'll find service providers who can do just that. Take some of those time-consuming tasks off your hands and apply their expertise to this area of your business. Most of them cater specifically to the travel advisor community, so it's a win-win for everyone. And the best part? Advisors are submitting new resources to add to the library every week. If you're listening and if you've contributed resources already, thank you for your collaborative spirit and for your generosity in growing this resource for the travel advisor community. To learn more and to sign up for the resource library for travel advisors, go to community.mastersintravel.co. That's community.mastersintravel.co. Okay, back to the conversation. As travel advisors, we already possess so much knowledge on different destinations around the world. How can we further flex these muscles so that we are cultivating the best experiences for all types of travelers and clients? In what ways do you think that we can push ourselves out of our comfort zones to be better and to do better? I'm interested to know, what do you see as a leadership coach as a traveler, as an entrepreneur, what do you see from the outside looking into the travel industry and specifically looking into our world as travel advisors? If you had a magic wand for us, what are some things that you could say, like, they can do better here? Like, put push me out of my comfort zone. <laughs> Yeah. Oh my gosh. I feel like the magic wand question is so perfect. If there were this list of this magical list of like countries and their laws, right? And then on the other side, there was a list of different communities of people and the issues that they face. And then you can just cross check that all day long. And Clearly, that's, you know, that's a little hard, but <laughs> the way to actually do that is really understanding different communities of people. Even in the example that I gave of knowing that a country has outlawed gay marriage, what does that actually mean? It doesn't mean that when your gay couple goes and visits there that they're just not allowed to be married anymore. That doesn't mean anything about that. But then what does it mean about the point of view of the gay community in that country and how gay people are most likely treated. If they don't have that fundamental right, what else does that mean about their experience in that place? So it's about understanding what are the experiences that are harmful for these people or what are their regular experiences? Another thing that I'm thinking about is, for example, like natural hair, right, um, in the Black community. Let's say they are going to a country where they have to like cover their hair, right? Okay, well, are there articles of clothing that can actually be good for their hair or are is their hair just going to be messed up the entire month that they're there? Do you have like silk lined head turbans for them or they're just going to have to figure it out? Like these are things of just like understanding what are these issues that these different communities face and the way to do that is like by really diversifying everything that you're doing. One of my clients, she loves to watch rom-coms and I'm just like, yes. So now she has a list of 40 black rom-coms and she watches it clearly for fun, but she's also noticing like, oh, this is a theme here, or this is an issue I've never heard people talk about, or what is this calling to? Then she goes off and does her research and she's able to input what she learned and attach it to the way that she serves her clients and how this issue will show up for them. I really appreciate this example because it's so, it kind of brings it back to remind us that this work that we're doing does not have to feel like work. Mm -hmm. I love the rom-com example. I've also started watching some Netflix shows and it could be anything. I think really the point is like, diversify your world. And if you cannot like go out and just suddenly make new friends, you can watch new TV shows. You can watch new movies, right? You can read different books. I've started reading lately some novels that were recommended that um, the authors are of the BIPOC community. And there are just little things coming up in these books that I'm reading that's like, oh, well, what's that? Yes. I didn't know that was a thing you know, and watching some Netflix shows. And it doesn't even have to be about diversity. 
I'm currently watching a Netflix show that is um, written and produced and created in France. And so I speak French, so I'm watching it. And it's also like a really fun way for me to like not forget my French. But there are just hilarious things that come up about the French culture. Mm-hmm. And in that show, one the main character is a, is a lesbian couple that has a new baby. And so like I'm connecting with the new baby parts of it. But then there's there's little parts of the dialogue between the lesbian couple that I'm like, oh, that's interesting. I didn't, that's a topic that I wasn't aware of, you know, like I didn't know that that was part of their community or whatnot. And so whenever we don't know about the history or the daily lives of anyone who is not us, it's often hard to like start Googling to start learning, right? Like we don't know what we don't know. So like, what do we ask? But the moment we're watching a movie, we're watching a TV show, we visit a country, we're reading a book, something's going to come up and be like, I have no idea what that means. What is that word that they just said? What is that historical reference that they just made? And then we have something to search and then we go look into it. And then we can learn and start to apply that back into our professional lives. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Because I feel like right now, a lot of people are like, I'm going to read the anti-racism books and learn about racism and learn about history. And it's just like, that's great. It's going to be very difficult for you to be able to use anything that you read there and input that specifically into your business. You need to learn about the heavy. It is. And it's heavy. Yes. I mean, last summer, I just got to the point that I was like, I can't, I can't watch any more documentaries and I can't read any more books. So that's where I started looking for like, just give me a book that's like written by a black author. Like, I still want to learn. I still want to participate in this, but like, I can't read about the Jim Crow laws. I need like, I need a break. Mm -hmm. I need to like take a beat. Right. Because it's heavy. Right. And like for me, I don't, I am very realistic with myself about the time that I have and the things that I actually want to do in that time. I don't like history. I don't like politics. Those things have always been boring to me. So how can I up my knowledge in a way that is, again, sustainable for me so I can keep doing it? I really appreciate that. When we reach out to supplier partners to start a new trip design, it's common and expected that we will provide a profile of our client so that our supplier can build a very customized, personalized itinerary or offer recommendations that are very customized to that client that we're discussing. So to give you an example, without a second thought, I would share details about their age, about their fitness and mobility levels, if that was Mm -hmm. pertinent information, about their interests or their disinterest in certain topics. So if we've got someone who just really loves photography, who's really into food, who really loves history or a specific history in a specific country, or who like just cannot be bothered with the history, like do not take this client to a museum or an art gallery or, you know, whatever. So that goes both ways, like what they're interested about, what also what they're not. I will also share information about whether they're traveling solo, if they have small children traveling with them. Sometimes I will share what I know about their religion, especially in certain destinations. So a great example is when we're designing trips to Israel and Jordan. Mm-hmm. The number one question from suppliers is, do you know their religious background? How should we present this itinerary? Do they want to visit Israel through a Jewish lens? Do they want to visit Israel through a Christian lens, through a Muslim lens? Or do they want that to be irrelevant? And do they want a more holistic 360 approach? And that's a question I'm asked for every single Israel inquiry that I have. So sometimes religion does come up. And of course, dietary preferences. So you get the gist. Like this is a very full profile that we are providing upfront to suppliers saying, where should we get started on this very customized, personalized itinerary for these clients? These details all feel very normal to me to share. And it I like I don't have a second thought saying this is a Jewish family. They've got small kids traveling with them. This is their first time to Israel and Jordan. You know, like it doesn't like I I don't miss a beat when I'm sharing these details. But when I think about sharing someone's race or ethnicity or skin color Mm -hmm. as part of their client profile, this gives me pause. From your perspective, is this appropriate to share? Do you feel that it's necessary? And is this something I need to personally work through because this is something I should be sharing? (laughs) (laughs) Is this something I need to work on? Because I don't know why it gives me pause, but it does. And I feel like it shouldn't. Yeah, I feel like, number one, Yes, 100% work through it. Number two, it is normal that it gives you pause because of the way that we've all been conditioned to speak. Because just thinking about 
society, in society, white is seen as the default. So then when we're saying, oh, this is a black family or a black person, we feel like we're othering people. And it's just like, oh, well, we should just stick to the default. And it's just like, we just want everyone to be equal. So we don't want to other them. Exactly. Exactly. But that's the problem. But that's the problem. Right. And so in this instance, I feel like it could be helpful if you know who you're talking to, right? So if you know that the person is aware enough to understand what you mean by saying, oh, I have a Black family coming, don't then make it so that the entire one week trip is us visiting African-American museums. That's not the point (laughs) of it. Please don't do that. It's like, it's just letting me know, will they be safe here? And we have to remember why we're saying these things. And I love that you even spoke about um, the person's like fitness and mobility level, because it's the same type of thing of, all right, are you going to put mountain climbing on the itinerary? That's not safe for this person. They're not going to make it up. I Okay, so I'm glad you mentioned this because when I'm sharing these types of profile details, there are a lot of additionals. So I would say for some, um, for example, like let's just use my husband and I, we love food. Like when we travel, we are eating. If we are not eating, we're not going there. Like if you tell me that place doesn't have good food, then like, why are we going there? Yes, same. <laughs> we need to eat. So what I would say though is, my husband and I have visited a gajillion wineries and we've like done a lot of cooking classes and we've done a lot of like behind the scenes coffee plantation type of experiences that it's, they're starting to all run together. Mm-hmm. And so when I go to a supplier and say, Hey, we're coming, we want to visit. I would love to hear your ideas for what we should do while we're there. My husband and I love food. It comes with additional details. We do not need Michelin star restaurants every night. We are just as happy eating in a food truck if you tell me that that's the best food truck in the city and you tell me what to order. We will go to a Michelin star restaurant, but it better be worth the investment. And then also tell me like what makes it special, what makes it unique. We're probably good on the cooking classes for now, unless there's a very specific dish we're interested in. We probably don't need to go see the behind the scenes winery tasting. We just want to drink the wine. Unless, and then I'm always going to say like, unless you tell me that there is a really special, unique food experience. Mm -hmm. So I love that you mentioned this, that it's, don't just say, we've got a black family of four coming at you. It's like, (laughs) there needs to be additional details. Like, yes, that, and specify what the supplier is supposed to do with that information. So A, what is their experience going to be in each of the places that we're talking about? Are they going to feel safe? Are they going to have a positive experience? Also, they are or are not interested in visiting these African sites we know you're already thinking of. <laughs> yes. So don't just like fill their, it- like either fill their itinerary with these or don't, or maybe sprinkle them in. But like they, you know, so I thank you for specifying that because I, of course, we follow up with a lot more details when we're providing this client profile, but I hadn't specified that. And what you've said is really important. It's not just enough to say, I'm working with a solo female traveler. I'm working with a a black family of four with two small children. I'm working with a gay couple. It's like, also, don't just make assumptions Yes. about what this type of person wants included on their itinerary. Exactly. Exactly. And I'm just like internally screaming about everything you described about food because I'm like, that's that's literally me. Yes. Now I have the language mm-hmm. <laughs> to tell people. Yes, exactly. Like we love food, but like food trucks, local restaurants. <sighs> Dirty kitchens, like I'll eat. Any- if the food is good and clean, like I'll eat it. Same. I mean, I'll I'll sit up straight and sit with a white tablecloth and eat twenty four courses. If you tell me that that's the experience I need to have in this place, I'll also sit on a dirt floor and <laughs> order from a food truck. Yes. I just need the food to be good. <laughs> yes. Amazing. Okay, so we kind of specified that there's more details that need to be given. You're telling me that it's appropriate. Would you agree that it's necessary? I feel like it's helpful. And as people are understanding more, it could become more necessary. I don't want to say yes right now because I know that everyone is on a different journey in in their anti-racism journey. And you might be 
perfectly fine. You may understand all these things, but the supplier that you're talking to, they may not be on this journey enough to be able to understand what you even mean by that. So it could get into a place of unnecessary confusion. So if you do bring it up saying like being very specific to them so that they in their head are just like, also for the purpose of safety, I want to mention that this is a gay couple coming here. So are there any things that you know of this specific place or of this specific town? Things like yep. that. And I, I I love the way that you phrase that for the purpose of safety. Whenever I'm feeling uncomfortable about like, can I say this? Should I say this? Is this necessary? Should I just not say it and then hope for the best? I think of myself as a solo female traveler in which there are scenarios in which this needs to be brought up. Right. I have two of my top clients are solo female travelers. And on their, on one, they they don't travel together. They're individual people. On one of the most recent trips I designed, every single email to those partners, because she was traveling to Central America by herself, mm-hmm. I said, this is a solo female traveler. This is the hotel that I'm planning to send her to. Is it safe? Can, is she okay walking on her free day outside this hotel and going to the market and going to the beach and doing things on her own. Is she safe walking around at night or do I need to advise her to maybe not do that? Whenever I feel unsure and uncomfortable, I think, what would I do if this were a solo female traveler? Because I feel comfortable saying all those things because that's me. Right. And if I would say those things for a solo female traveler, and if I would do that without a beat, then I do it for whoever I'm working with. And I like get past my discomfort. Yes. Yes. 100%. Kind of my gauge of like, well, I would do this for myself. I would do this for my solo female travelers. So I need to do this for this client to make sure that they're going to be safe. Exactly. Exactly. For so many of us, Allie, we want to do better and we want to be better. And as we discussed today, this truly is work. It can be enjoyable work. We can watch rom-coms and like read books. But it's work. It's it's not something that we can just put on our to-do list and tick off and then consider it done. I, I feel like this is a journey. It will probably never end. It's ongoing. It's intentional work. It's work that requires action. And that work might be personal. It might be professional. But as I'm so happy that you kind of walked us through, it's personal first. And it needs to be personal first before it can be professional. So for advisors who are ready to begin their personal journey on actively being anti-racist, where or how do you suggest they begin? I mean, I know that this is an impossible question. But if, if we are just taking one step in the right direction on our personal journey, where would you advise advisors to start? I would definitely advise advisors to start in understanding their own identity and their culture and how that shapes the way that they are viewing the world. Because it may be different from other things, but that is when you're starting to be able to do some of that unlearning is when you're really understanding, okay, what what is true for me? What have I always believed has been true for other people. And you can start even thinking about what is the messaging that I have been told? What do I deem as professional? What does that word mean to me? All of these things, it it goes down to so many like little details. But once you're able to start thinking about it for yourself, you can start doing the work in that way. And and start watching some rom-coms. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Just like have fun with it. Because I found myself struggling. I didn't even know what questions to ask. Mm-hmm. But the moment I watched something that was the main characters were a community that was not my own, then I had questions. And then that kind of started the question. And it was enjoyable. I was like laughing while I was Googling. Like, that's hilarious. What does that mean? <laughs> yes, exactly. Like, I think of myself with like RuPaul's Drag Race is how I understood like the different facets of the LGBTQ plus community because they have such deep conversations there. They're like, there's like scenes where they're just like putting on their makeup and they're telling each other their life stories. And I'm just like, oh, wow. Like we think of specifically like in the gay community of like troubles or issues with people coming out to their parents as gay. But then it's another coming out of, yeah, and my job is a drag queen. No, I'm not trans. Yes, I'm still like, I would have never known that had I not Mm -hmm. watched that and then decided to do research. Exactly. I was just going to say Queer Eye has brought up a whole Mm -hmm. lot of things for me. 
which is a very in- enjoyable show to watch. But I feel like so many of us are binging on Netflix and enjoying, and we're all crying at the end of every episode because that's the only way to watch Queer Eye. <laughs> but then we like get up and walk away. Google something at the end of that episode. Yes. What in each episode brought up a question for you of like, huh? I wonder what that is in reference to, or I wonder why that's so important to that particular person. Google something. Ask a question after you watch each of these episodes. Exactly. Exactly. Allie, I can't thank you enough for sharing your experiences with us today and for helping to start the conversation in the world of travel advisors. I sincerely appreciate your insights and your guidance and just your openness to to dive into this with us today. Thank you so much. Of course. I, I really enjoy doing this work. I feel like it's so important. And I'm glad that having this podcast episode is going to make it a little bit easier for people to see what that could even look like for them. Listeners, if you would like to find out more about Allie, her work as an anti-racism leadership coach, leadership sounds really big and fancy like with corporations, but as a reminder, Allie works primarily with solo entrepreneurs and with service providers. I highly recommend you seek out Allie on Instagram. That's really where she's super engaging and where I'm always picking up new insights and learning new things, like all the hair products that we need for her daughter. (laughs) You can find out more about Allie and her work on her website, alyssahallcoaching.com. And on Instagram, her handle is at Allie the Life Coach. Both of these are linked in the show notes for you. Allie, thank you again for your willingness and for your enthusiasm to be a part of the conversation. Of course. Thank you for having me. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Masters in Travel. If you want more, head over to mastersintravelpod.com for show notes and links to the resources we discussed in today's episode. If you loved today's interview as much as I did, please take a moment to leave a review, subscribe so you don't miss an episode, and be sure to share this podcast with an advisor who is ready to level up their travel business. To continue the conversation, find us on Instagram at Masters in Travel, where we preview upcoming episodes and engage with our listeners to decide what topics to cover next. We'll see you next time.